Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. How you guys doing? Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for letting me come up here and hang out with you guys for today. I'm excited to talk with you and just to share what's been on my heart. I feel like we are just in a special time together as a church body, and God's doing a lot of really special things. We got video now with Roy, so we're getting real official over here. But yeah, so it's so interesting just hearing these stories about Roy and Patty and, you know, just how the power of God can show up in in tough times, how God can move and affect so many different people's lives. Because Roy and Patty are going through the most difficult time of their life and all these other people who are going through the exact same thing, but they're being affected because of what they believe in their heart. You know, all of life is just the different ebbs and flows of life. The ups, the downs, the downs, the outs. And we're learning to follow God throughout those times. It says the sons of God follow the Spirit of God in Romans 8. And we're learning what that looks like. In Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon writes, he talks about the different times and seasons. He says there's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. There's a time to give, and there's a time to receive. There's a time to speak, and there's a time to listen. There's a time for war, and there's a time for peace. So there's different times, and we're learning to find him in the midst of the ebbs and flows. At the time of Jesus' birth, the wise men, they looked to the sky, and they saw the stars, and they were able to follow the stars to their Savior. But at the time of his death, people were still looking at the sky. They were waiting for a sign. They were waiting for maybe Elijah to come back or another prophet or something to happen. But the message wasn't in the sky. It was on the ground by their feet. Jesus' blood was spilt. That was speaking to them the better word. And God's just working with us. He's teaching us what that looks like. And I feel that in my heart that we as a church body, up until this time, we've, we've been in a time of fasting. where We've been waiting in the Lord. We've been setting ourselves apart, saying no to many things just because it wasn't God. It may look good. It may have elements of God, but it wasn't quite him. And we, we were reserving ourselves for something more. But I feel that in this time that we are in a time of feasting. A time of feasting. If we could put that Psalms passage up there. It says, I'll tell you what it says. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. All of y'all probably heard that verse probably in a lot of your kitchens. But it doesn't just say taste and drum up some hope. Taste and maybe you'll believe. It says taste and see it. Taste and see that he is good. Taste and experience his goodness. And I just feel... That God wants to do that for us. That now is not a time for us to cling to the testimonies of others. 
It's not for us just to listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos. And be like, man, wow, look at what he did for those people over in that country or in that city or in that church. It's what he wants to do for you. What he wants to do for you. And I feel that there's people who come in here. They come, they sit in the back. This is for everyone. This is not just for a select few. It's not just for Roy, Gacy, and Patty, and the people who maybe serve on the worship team or the prayer team. No, this is for every single person. And that you who sits in the back, who slips in and worship and comes out before the service is over, this is for you. He wants to show you too. You too can taste and see that the Lord is good. That he wants to expose the Gideon nature. I, who am I? I'm just, I'm just the least of these. No, 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 no. You are a valiant warrior. You are a man and woman after my own heart. And I died for you and I placed you within me. You are on that same level. You can see me and experience me the same way. And I feel that for our house. He just wants to touch us. I remember I had a friend. Uh, a while back, he was going through a really hard time, and he was, um, he had some words over his life, like many of us do, and they didn't pan out the way he thought, like all of us probably have had. And it was, it was really heavy on his heart, and it was just really discouraging. So we would get together, we'd talk, we'd encourage each other, we'd quote scripture to each other. He'd quote scripture to me, he, he knows the word. And he just, nothing seemed to change. Nothing seemed to break. And I remember in the middle of it one day, we were talking one night, and God said, why don't you invite me into the conversation? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. (laughs) So I said, man, I want to pray for you. He said, sure. He said, I'm going to pray for you. And God's going to do something. So he said, have at it. So I put my hands on him, and I was like, huh, I don't even know what I'm going to pray. I've said everything I know to say. I'm out. So I looked up and said, hey, can I pray over you in tongues? He said, sure. So I just started shakabobbing and beat-bopping and saying all that. And then out of my mouth, I just start saying, et tu brute. Et tu brute, et tu brute. I'm thinking in the back of my head while this happens, like, am I quoting Shakespeare? <laughs> Is this biblical? It's not, not biblical. So I get done, I look at him, I'm like, hey, what was that all about? He's like, bro, that was crazy. I was like, yeah, I know. He's like, all day today I was at work. And throughout the course of the day, as my mind, I couldn't kept, I kept playing that singing in my head of that Shakespearean play where he turns around, he looks at his best friend Brutus and says, et tu, Brute? He says, you too, Brutus? When he was betrayed. And he said, what does that mean? I said, bro, it means that no matter where you're at, 
how far away you feel like you've fallen from God, how distant he is from you. He has never left you. He has never forsaken you. That he is with you in the presence of your own. It's rained on thoughts throughout the day. He's right there with you. Listen, we need an experience with God. Listen, God died so that you could be within him. He said, Father, I just ask you that they, they be one with you just as you and me are one. That truth just isn't a word that we speak. No, it's a person. And I feel like God wants to give you an encounter with him. See, in feasting, you, got, you can't feast unless you fasted. And you can't fast unless you feasted. But in the time of the feast, he makes himself known. In Mark chapter 2, the disciples of John and the Pharisees came to him and they said, why don't your disciples fast? Jesus' response was simple. He said, you can't fast when the bridegroom is present. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you with the miraculous. He wants to bless you with the impossible. He wants to open your eyes. I think one of the biggest ways that we can come blind to the goodness of God as we get comfortable with the supernatural and the level of goodness that we've seen in our past. And therefore, we limit the way he wants to reveal it to us in the future. As I heard someone say this one time, and I felt so good. Say, so you put God in a box, you touch it, you die. That's the only time he's ever put himself in a box. He wants to expand our minds and take it to a whole new level. He wants to do it through an encounter. So I want to read a, a passage to you all. It's in Luke 24, verse 25. And this is a, uh, it's a story of what happened actually after Jesus died. It's called the road to Emmaus. And um, this is a story of probably the greatest transition to ever take place in the world. I was going to set it up here. Um, these disciples, they're walking down the road, and they're sad because their best friend just died. And they're so caught up in just the mourning in their heart. They have no idea, actually, what, what's really going on around them. But they're just stuck in that place. And it says in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus appeared to them, and he took on a form that they didn't, they didn't know. He came to them in a different form. And he says, what are you guys talking about? They say, are you the only man who doesn't know what's going on in these days? Jesus, a prophet, great in word and deed, has died. And they start telling him just the anguish of the hearts. And then Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further. They urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. 
And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. From their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he taught to us on the road, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. God, I just ask that you just, you speak to all of us in this time, that you speak through me, that you make this word, you make your heart apparent to every single person in this room. May we walk out of here more aware of our connectedness to you, more aware of what we have in you, and with a greater trust in our heart that you are working all things to the good of those who love you. We thank you, Lord. You know, I think a lot of times we go through, we, everyone's experienced it, and we've said this already, that didn't plan out quite like they perceived it. But the greatest struggle that we have, and I say, is, you see, is that in that moment, they blame God because they lack circumstantial revelation. And just because you lack circumstantial revelation doesn't mean that he's not with you. But it's in those moments where we disconnect ourselves from the source, from the relationship that we need. See, so we need a relational revelation. I think it's really interesting. Um, at Billy Graham's funeral, Lynn Graham, I think that's her name, uh, Billy Graham's daughter, she said something that just really struck me. It was really amazing. She said, God knew the time of my dad's death. He picked out the day. He said, it was going to be February 21st, 2018. So I wanted to know why, so I looked into it. And upon looking, I saw that on this day, Jews come together, and they gather together, and they read aloud the message of the death of Moses. He said, I feel, this is what she said, she said, I feel like this is a sign to us as a nation. That Moses, like my father, was a man who came and spoke to the world and exposed that sin nature, exposed them and freed them from slavery. But now is the time for the Joshua's. Now is the time for the Caleb's, those with a different spirit who can see the world in a different way to lead people into the promise. Four years ago, in October of 2000. Um, 14. Yep, you're right. You know, he knows what I'm saying. Dr. Miles Monroe. He stood up on a stage and he said the exact same thing. You were about to see many great leaders pass away because God's removing the Moseses to make way for the Joshua's. Three weeks later, he passed away. There is a time that we're in where God is wanting to give us sight He's wanting to show us what it is that heaven is doing upon the earth. Jesus spoke to his disciples in John 16, and he said, listen, there's more I want to say to you, but you're already filled, your hearts are already filled with sorrow. He's telling them that he's about to die, but they can't quite perceive what he's communicating. And so he leaves them with one other message. 
This is the last thing he says before he says, there's more I would like to say to you, but you cannot bear it. He says, I am giving you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to convict the world of three things. He's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And when he goes on and explains righteousness, he says, because in a little while you will see me no longer because I am going to be with the Father. And then he goes on and says, in a little while you'll see me not, and in a little while you'll see me. The Greek word, both those C's are actually two different words. The first one is to perceive with your eyes, like in the natural. But the second one means to gaze with eyes wide open upon the remarkable. See, it's in Corinthians chapter 5, where it says, Though he walked in the flesh, we regard him in the flesh no longer because we've been given the gospel of reconciliation and we are a new creation. He's wanting to open your eyes to see the unseen world, the realities of heaven that are all around you. Because there's so much more than what we can perceive with our eyes and hear with our ears. I go to the gym and I see all the TVs in front of the treadmill and some of the TVs are saying, oh, uh, you know, this is the worst decision our country's ever made. And the next TV is saying, this is the greatest decision our country's ever made. One TV is saying, oh my gosh, we're all, like, no, the stock market's horrible. The company lost $500 million. Other TV, company just made $500 million. What, what do you think? I, I, I get confused. Because you've got to have eyes to see. Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you can see the fullness of the inheritance that you have in the saints, that you've been placed in Christ in heavenly places above all other rule and authority. I love the story, uh, the stories when God calls the prophets and he calls the different people uh, into the ministry. And Isaiah 6 is the story when Isaiah gets called. And in that story, he gets caught, caught up in a heavenly encounter. And he's in the temple, and he sees the trail of the Lord's robe filling the temple and the seraphim surrounding it. And he hears what the seraphim say. He said, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. See, that right there is where you've been seated. And when we are aware of our righteousness in Christ, that we are seated with him in heavenly places, we can look upon this world and all the craziness and all the things that are going on, and we can see the goodness and the glory of God in the midst of it. And this world needs someone of a different spirit who can see those things and proclaim those things so that let people know that, listen, you are not without hope, that I have tasted and I've seen the goodness, and that is a meal that's for you too. He wants to open our eyes look into the promise in the midst of the giant say, no, no, this is the land where I'm going to feast. This is the land that God said, this is where I'm going to find the house that I never built. This is the land where I'm going to drink the water from the well I never dug. This is the land where I'm going to eat grapes from a vineyard I never planted. The beautiful thing about that is he's working with us to do it. Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, I called you to be a prophet to the nations. I'm a youth. I can't speak. That's his response. God just touches his lips. He says, yeah, you can. <laughs> then he says, what do you see, Jeremiah? Um, I, 
See, an almond branch? <laughs> but I, I, I want to say this. So many times, like God is trying to say, like, what, like, what is it you see, Zach? I, I got no idea. It doesn't make sense to me. But I'll say it back to him, or maybe I'll say it to a friend. And he breathes on that faith. Because his response is, you have seen correctly, and I am watching over my word to perform it. See, God didn't even speak the word. He left it for Jeremiah to speak it. He just revealed it to him. And the greatest tragedy that's going on right now is that people, believers, are seeing goodness of God, but they're not proclaiming it. Listen, people are proclaiming their insecurities. They're proclaiming their, their, their ideologies all over the place. It's all over media. It's all over the world. They're saying what it is that they feel, and it's, it's based on natural realm's perception. But yet, the people of God, they need to, God's wanting to reveal to you what heaven is seeing so you can release it on the world around you. So God comes to Jeremiah again and says, what do you see, Jeremiah? And now Jeremiah's getting more confident. He says, I see boiling pot. And then he adds a detail that he didn't add before. Oh, and it's coming from the north. He says, that's right. And I'm bringing my disaster upon the lands from the north. The first thing he says to them is he addresses the extra detail that he added to what he saw. Comforting him and encouraging him that, yes, you can see the way I see. You can see the world the way I see it. God's speaking things, and he's putting little things, nuggets in your heart. The word to pay attention to. That are creating sight. The first thing God did was speak. And light formed. He's speaking to you to open your eyes to the light that he's releasing upon the world. One of the greatest ways that I've learned to um, just to, to interact with God and understand his heart has been through my marriage. You know, there's only two covenants that we're called to enter into, one with him and one with our spouse. And we're called to die to both of them. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I remember when I first got married, you know, I was wide-eyed, excited. It's like, good gosh, God, he did it. <laughs> you found me a woman. Thank you. And I was just like looking at her. I was like, she is gorgeous. Oh, my gosh, God, you are so good. But I had to learn some things. <laughs> There's some communication areas that I was working on. He was working on me. And I remember there'd be days she'd be like, Zach, your socks are on the floor. Or she'd be like, hey, babe, um, this coffee grinds in the sink. And I'd be in the other room and I'd just be thinking, okay. Why is she telling me about coffee, coffee grinds? She'd wait for a second. She'd see if I'd respond. And then she'd come walk into the room. She got a sass, you know? 
And she'd look at me and say, babe, the coffee grinds and sink. And she just kind of get that head tilt, you know? And I, like my insides would freeze. Just like if my, my mouth would go numb, I'd just look at her and be like, okay. And I'd just kind of walk around her, make sure I was a safe distance away. And I'd go tend to these coffee grinds. See, I heard her, but I didn't perceive what she was saying. I think God just wants us to have a heart to perceive what he's saying. In Matthew 13, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak in parables? He said, to you it's been given to understand the things of the kingdom, but to them it has not. For many see, but don't perceive, and many hear, but they don't understand, because their hearts are hardened towards me. Yeah, listen, uh, God, what God said to the 12, he didn't always say to the multitude. And what he said to the three, he didn't always say to the 12. And what he said to the one, he didn't always share with anyone else. I have a friend who says, and he says it's so good. He says, God loves everyone the same, but he doesn't trust everyone the same. And he wants to trust you with his heart. That's why he created you. To share with you the mysteries of the kingdom. He was in heaven in eternal glory. And it was amazing that he thought, man, I want to create man in my own image. I, I want to partner with them. I want to co-labor with them. And he loves you. And the greatest honor and joy of his life is the way he sees himself coming out of you. When it sees you grabbing on to the word, grabbing on to his truth, and walking it out, and declaring it with boldness, the way he declared, let there be light in the beginning. See, all creation is eerily longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You know what that tells me? It says when God created this world, he created a desire for you. For you to know who you are. And for you to walk it out in following his spirit. It says if you are born of the kingdom, you are born of water and spirit. And when I read Genesis 1, it says that water and the spirit of God hovered over the deep. And then the voice came. Listen, these, are, these bodies that we have are 70% water. Some percentage like that. And there's a spirit within you. It wants a voice to come out again. To declare those things that heaven sees. In Matthew, uh, well, actually, in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, to be sure that you are found without blemish, without wrinkle, with peace, without blemish, pure of heart, unstained by the world, because without the pure of heart, you can't see God, without wrinkle, youthful. Jesus' body was broken so that you could live and have eternal life. The world wants to weigh you down. The world wants to make you old. The world wants to add wrinkles to your face. And we're spending lots of money on different ways to make it happen. But God's saying, I want you to be childlike. 
Matthew 18, he says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you have faith like a child. I think if we want to see him, we have to have a pure heart. But if we want to interact with him, then you're going to need some childlike faith. In Matthew 18, 10, it says that the angels of children are the ones that stand in the face of God. And I don't think that's when you reach a certain age that that angel starts taking back steps away from that position. I think it's when you start to lose your childlikeness. I remember um, I was in Haiti, 2012, February, 2011, February. And I had just become recently awoken to some of these things of God. So just believing in miracles, believing in the kingdom. And I came, I was like, God, I am going to see some miracles. Like, I was excited, man. I was happy. And we got down there, and we were just in the dump of Haiti. We saw 13 deaf people healed. Like, it was amazing. In one night, that happened. I remember I was a little baby. I was praying for him. And I was like, it had a growth on the side of his neck, the size of a golf ball. It was huge. I was praying for it. Nothing happened. Prayed for it again. Nothing happened. I was like, this is going to happen. I think I prayed for that baby 25 times. But eventually, by the time it was all gone, or by the time I was done, the whole thing was gone. I looked at it, I was like, oh, my eyes. <laughs> it was amazing. And those kids down there, they were so innocent and pure. One night, I'm holding this little baby. We're in a room probably a little smaller than this. And, um, and I was just praying, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes. I want to see the way your world's interacting with this one. And so I'm looking around the room, holding this baby. I look in the corner. Oh my gosh, is that, is that an angel? <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going crazy. Just keep looking over there. I'm like, God, I don't trust myself. I do not trust myself. <laughs> it's like, listen, I got a crazy imagination, God. So you're going to need to do something to make me really believe this is it. Like, I know I'm asking it, but I'm thinking I'm just making myself believe I'm seeing it. Seriously, when you're praying and asking God to open your eyes to just the world around him, what he's saying, what he's doing, there will always be something that says, no, that's not true. But you've got to believe that still, small voice, that burning in your heart. So I said, God, if this is you, I'll trust you. And I'll celebrate. I'll be like, wow, you answered my prayer. But please give me some confirmation. So about one minute later, I get tugged on my left arm. It's this little boy. Five-year-old Haitian boy, so cute. And he looks up at me with a big old smile and points directly to where the angel was. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. He, he just saw me staring over there. Like, he doesn't, this isn't really happening. So I say to him, do you see it? And he nods his head. I'm like, you don't even understand English. You speak Creole. How are you nodding your head? So I start screaming at him, do you see it? And he just starts laughing. And then he's just like doing this. And I was like, no way. And then he turns to me and goes like this with his arms. I was just like, 
oh my gosh. About one minute later, when my friend Chad Norris comes behind me, smacks me on the back and goes, oh my gosh, there's angels everywhere in here. (laughs) He's a great local pastor in town. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, this is it. That was the moment my Presbyterian head exploded within me. And one thing the world really needs to see is that being in love with Jesus is amazing. It's fun. I want to close with this right here. But, you know, some interesting statistics are, um, and this is, this is a few years old, so I'm sure they could have changed, and I can't remember the exact number, but... Um, there's a man, he wrote a book called The American Church in Crisis, and he, he did some statistics on different cities, and he did one on the upstate area. And it said that 70% of the people in this area are unchurched. 70%. That's a radical number. That's hard to believe. Another statistic is, and this is, once again, this is a couple years old, but I can't imagine it being that far from the truth anymore, is that Greenville has more restaurants per capita than any other city in the U.S. You know what that says to me? We're hungry. Sometimes it's really simple to see the things that God's saying. We're hungry. But we're not hungry for another message. We're not hungry for another worship service. We're not hungry for another church. I'm not saying those things are bad. But we're hungry for an encounter with God. We're hungry to see him display his goodness. Listen, I, I love the Lord, and, I'm, and I, I, I want to set my life apart. But there are things that I need. There's things that, because God created to be that way, that we can achieve on our own just by good moral Christian values. We need him to come in and break through. And I think so many people, they struggle. They struggle with feasting. They struggle with this, uh, seeing the goodness of God. Because it says in Psalms 23, that he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And I think some people have a hard time sitting in the presence of their enemies, in the presence of their distress long enough to see his goodness manifest. But if you can endure, if you can sit there and hold true to the belief that he is good, that he wants to move on your behalf, that he is the miracle maker, then you will see it. Listen, there's not one person I've ever seen healed who wasn't sick before. (laughs) And sometimes he waits to serve his feast serve the dish of his goodness to all his distress or all to your distress is present. To all the things that have been bothering you, bothering you have gathered up together. He could have lost every single thing that has brought distress, that has brought harm, that has brought destruction upon you to witness his goodness as he displays it over you. To witness his goodness as oil drips from your head as your cup overflows, so that it can see that nothing it can do 
can stop that goodness and mercy from following you all the days of your life. So you've been put in the greatest place of all time. You've been put inside of Christ. That you were hidden there. Listen, anyone who says that they believe God for miracles, anyone who says they believe that they can hear from him, that believe that he heals, that believe that he does these extravagant things that we read about in the Bible, they will watch you. The world will watch you if you say you believe it because they want to see if it's really true in your life. You know, oh, this guy, he's young. He's going after God. He's, he's saying he's seeing angels in Haiti or he's seeing, seeing miracles. <laughs> That'll last. I'm not trying to be rude or insistent, but people think that. Uh, over the last two years, me and my wife have tried to have kids. A year and a half ago, I had the same dream three nights in a row. And there was a voice that came to me and said, you will have children in my timing and not yours. After the third night, I wake up and I see Nasa and she tells me we're pregnant. In the last two and a half years, we've had two miscarriages. I don't doubt his goodness because I have a word in my heart. And it it didn't manifest maybe the way I thought it was going to manifest. It doesn't look the way I thought it was going to look. But I'm not doubting it. He stands on the outside of time and he looks in. There's creatures who surround the throne with eyes in them, around them, and within them. And they declare, holy is the one who is, holy is the one who was, and holy is the one who is to come. Listen, they're seeing him from an outside perspective. They're seeing him from outside of time. And I know that that word has been planted in me is a manifestation. It's something I'm carrying of the Jesus who I'm going to see who is to come when I watch our child being born one day. Listen, the world's watching this church right now with Aaliyah. They're seeing, listen, that church, they say some pretty radical things. They say they believe in God for healings, for miracles. They say they believe in him for extravagant displays of his goodness. And God is showing it in this time. He's showing it with Aaliyah. Like we always said, they're calling it the miracle child. They're calling her the miracle child. But I'm saying this. This ain't the only dish of his goodness he's serving out. Because when it comes to the time of feasting, there's a lot of plates in the kitchen of heaven. They got some good cooks, man. (laughs) So God, we say thank you. That no matter what our eyes see and what we perceive in this world, that we are keeping our eyes locked on you to experience your goodness. Whatever way it comes, because you're always coming in a different form, in a way that we're not fully prepared to see. But I ask that you give us eyes to see. We thank you, Jesus.